0: You are listening to Currents, a podcast of Big Ocean Women. Today's part of our at-home interview series, interesting discussions from our home to yours. Today, we are talking to Nicolene Peck, parenting expert and CEO of Teaching Self-Government. Parenting is not for the faint of heart, and it's even harder during these uncertain times. Nicolene shares some wonderful ideas on how to maintain peace and safety in our homes through intentional parenting. We discuss parenting children, ages two to 20, and the challenges each stage can present. The Currents podcast aims to gather women who are deliberate thinkers, women who are prepared to engage as powerful forces for good in their homes, their communities, and the world. I am Shelley Spots, along with my co-host, Alicia Christensen. Welcome to the show. Nicolene, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got involved in teaching self-governance?
1: Yeah, well, I actually never planned to be a parenting person or to teach anybody about anything. I just planned to be a mom. That was my goal. And, um, then my husband switched careers. He went back to work or back to school rather, and switched into another job that wasn't going to pay him hardly anything. And I had two babies at home that I had worked for years to pull away from a, a really high level career to raise. And, and I was like, no, I took all that time to pull myself away. I want to stay with these kids. And so after a lot of thought and prayer, cause I'm a prayer girl, um, after a lot of thought and prayer, I really felt like we should do treatment foster care for troubled teens. So we started taking in youth ages 12 to 18 into our home to do treatment foster care. And then people started saying, hey, will you come and will you talk at our, our church group? Will you come and talk for our PTA group, for our parent support group, for you know different things? And I thought, okay, I'm just this young mom. I don't even have gray hair yet, but like, sure, I guess I'll come. And I didn't think that it would last very long And then the BBC made a documentary of our family 11 years ago in 2009. And after that, things kind of exploded and it's just never stopped since. As you
0: have gone out into the community and into various groups to speak in these different areas, what do you find that people are searching the most for? What kind of answers are parents looking for?
1: Well, I've got to be honest with you, there's two different varieties, okay, so there's the one variety of parent who just wants a quick fix for their child. They're like, can I have a magic pill? I would really like a magic pill, <laughs> and, so, and, they, and they hope I'm handing out magic pills, okay, so there's, there's that one variety, but then there's the other variety who is just blatantly honest, and they say, okay, you know what, I have a problem. I turn into monster mom and I never planned on turning into monster mom and I actually need to control myself. How can you help me to control myself as a mom or as a dad? Cause it's not just for moms. Obviously this is full family here. And, um, and so there's both, there's two different types of, of people. and That's what they're looking for. They're looking for something, um, you know, really they're looking for skills because, you know, they go to churches and they read good books, inspiring things. And they go, oh yes, I need to love my children. Oh yes, I need to be understanding and patient. And they know all of that. But when it gets right down to it and one child's pulling another child's hair and smacking the other one in the face with a the block, they don't know how to be patient and be loving right then. Like they, they're like, what do I do right then though? And that's where my stuff comes in with the teaching self-government stuff is I give them the skills they need so that they can be the type of parent that they want to be and still handle the problems so they don't have to turn into monster mom. And I think people really appreciate that. It isn't a magic pill. I will say it's not. Some people think they had a magic pill for a little bit when they first start. They're like, yay, but it does take some stickity toity, you know, to change everybody's hearts in the family, which is really what it's all about.
0: Right, and when it comes down to it, I think, although there are behavior problems and there are challenges, I think in any family there are challenges. We, we don't really want different children. We love our children the way they are. We just want our home to be a more peaceful place. We wanna be able to have um, more meaningful interactions with our children and, and to yeah be able to learn those skills and those tools and those techniques I know in my own teaching and I teach at the college level, my students know a lot, but what they lack is the specific tools to say, hey, okay, this is what I'm gonna do in this circumstance to apply the knowledge I already have. So I think you're, I, I think you're right on where, you know, parents come into this parenting gig going, yes, parenting, wonderful, small, cute, adorable child. And then the frustrations pile up and there's just, you know, not those specific tools for us to, to know how to deal with different situations with our children.
1: Yeah. I always tell people, you know, there's principle and there's practice and some parenting programs will give you lots and lots of principle, but not a lot of practice. So then you go, yes, I want that, but I don't know how. And then some, some parenting programs will give you a whole bunch of practice but it's not really based in principle. It's like kind of manipulative and like playing tricks and, on your children. And so the ideal is to have your principle match your practice. And that's what we try to deliver to people is principle and practice together so that they can have those tools that they need. And the people that already have the principle, they just get that practice and they're like, yahoo, you know, and they just get so excited. Yeah,
0: that's, that's really that. great. When, um, when you are talking to women and when you're out in the communities, what sorts of specific tools do you tell them to start with? Where do they begin?
1: Oh, wow. That is a great question. You know, usually the best thing to do is to begin with a little bit of assessment where you say, okay what is it that I really want? There's been these little things rolling around in your head for a long time. These little ideas of what type of a family you know you're supposed to have. So now we've got to write all that down and say, what is it that we really want? And I call it creating a vision. So I say, okay, let's create a vision for our family. Where are we going 20 years from now? Who are we as a group? Because so oftentimes, especially when the children are in the teenage years or those crazy toddler years, the parent is so focused on what's happening in that minute and how crazy it seems to be that they forget. This is a big long-term project. (laughs) This this goes into the future for quite some time. And so I say, let's set our, our sights straight. So let's analyze where we want to go and then let's analyze what we're really doing. Okay, and we have some stuff to help with that like there's a a book that I have called popular parenting methods. Are they really working and a lot of parents will read that as a first little thing just to assess where they're at and what and what they need to to conquer some of the stumbling blocks that they've got right. And so that's a start. It helps them look at different types of parenting, what traps they might've fallen into that they didn't realize they've they've fallen into that kind of stuff. And then after that, then they're ready to start putting some of the other pieces into place. But basically um, when you make a vision for where you're going, you organize a whole bunch of stuff, you make priorities. And so you say, this is where we're going. And, and based on where we're going, This is who I am. So there's a lot of identity that's involved, family identity. And I, and I call that roles. I mean, I didn't make it up. We, that's what we call that as a society, what our roles are in the family. And, and there are a lot of people who, if they just got their roles in the right place, would actually fix a whole bunch of things in the family, but they've lost their parental authority because um, social ideas and and social customs and practices have come in that have actually created dysfunction in their family roles. And I'm not talking about who does the dishes because like anyone can do the dishes. I'm talking about, you know, not responsibilities. I'm talking about who you really are. So like as a mother, my role is, I am the heart and hearthstone of my family no matter if I have a job or if I don't have a job or if I made dinner or I made it out of a box or picked it up, I still am the heart and hearthstone of my family and I have to know what that means to really nurture them. What does that mean? And so, That's a key thing with, with getting your vision and your alignment set too. And if you realize you've bought into a few lies about who you are and who they are and things are, feel dysfunctional, then probably you have to go back to that level, then start with some of the skills and move forward after that. And I have a book called Roles too, a book called Roles, The Secret to Family Business and Social Success.
0: Right. And Um, I think that that's really, I think it's a really important thing to start to see is especially as our families change, right? Because no sooner do you have one sort of parenting, like down, you think I've got this. I am a great mom of toddlers. And then they're not toddlers anymore. I I have four kids of my own and they're really close in age. And so right now we have four almost adult children living at home. And so we're having to balance and mediate this independence and dependence and how we all live in a home together while still not driving each other crazy and you know recognizing that that they have different needs as a 19 year old as a 17 year old than they had when they were six or seven or eight yeah so what do you tell parents as, as those roles, as those parenting roles change over time? How do they reassess those things?
1: Yeah, that's a super good question. In fact, I would say right now, that's a question on a lot of people's minds. You have no idea how many people have said to me, you know, this transition as they grow into adulthood is really like, uh, it's hard to navigate. And I thought, yeah, I hear you. I'm, I'm, I'm right here in it. So I've got, I have four children of my own. Of course, we also raised a bunch of foster children to adulthood. Some of them left at age 18 from our home and stuff. Um, but I have two that are married and then I have one that is 16 right now. And then I have one that I am taking to college tomorrow. So it, and, and I just literally right before we did this podcast, just sat with her on our front lawn and just talked about the future and where things were going. And, and, you know, and we talked about our relationship and we talked about um, our family and what that means to her and had our own little cry. I mean, you know, it's, I mean, it is a, it is a bittersweet time, right? Where Mm -hmm. they transition into going on to new things and, um, and to understand your role during that time is tricky because you are their parent, that never changes. You're their parent, but what does change is who they are. And so that adjusts who, what your role as parent then is. Right. right. And so I remember my son, he, um, he was getting ready to go off to college for his, his second time. He did some college in, in like uh, high school years. And then he served a mission for our church. And he did that for a couple of years. And when he came home, I looked at him and I said, son, now you're, you're an adult. You've lived in the world alone for, you know, two years. And now you're going off, you know, back to, to school and stuff. And I said, But, you know, I'm always your mom and I'm still going to be your mom. So how do you see my role in your life now, now that you're an adult and you're doing these things, you know? And so I thought, let's open this conversation. And he sat there and he looked at me and he thought for a minute and he said, well, I think you're supposed to give me advice and make sure that I don't do anything stupid. (laughs) I said yes that sounds about right you know and then he's like am I doing anything stupid (laughs) and so but he had to know my role too because I think that's the other thing is some parents try to have impact on their children as they're transitioning into adulthood but if the the child has a different view of what the role of the parent is than the parent does then they're not going to take that advice they're not going to look to that parent for so it has to be deliberately discussed, discussed, and if there's one thing that I am a huge advocate for, it is open, deliberate communication in the family. In fact, if anything, I would say that's what a lot of people come to me for. I mean, besides right. the skills, they're like, how, but how do I talk about this? You know, and, and uh, sometimes I think we beat around bushes when we shouldn't, you know, in our relationships.
0: I think that that's, I think it's really hard because there's this idea that if we open ourselves up to some of those kinds of conversations with our children, especially as our children get older, uh, there's a vulnerability there that says, okay, I am your parent, yes, but let me show you the things I'm struggling with as a parent. And so that makes you as the authority figure vulnerable, sometimes in our own eyes, But I think it it can have really powerful impact with our children. I know I sat with my son who's 19 and he's living at home on, he just started college, but his college is all online because of, you know, our world circumstances right now. And so he is living at home, but he just said, I, I need a little bit more independence. I I don't wanna feel like you're checking in with me or asking me where I'm going every time I walk out the door or I just wanna feel like I'm growing and making progress. And I'm like, okay, that's good. What do you want me to do? And he he says, he's, well, I have class tomorrow at 9.15. If you haven't heard me, could you make sure that I'm up? Because to me, I hadn't been doing any of that because I thought he's going to think I'm overbearing. He's going to think that I'm checking in too much, that I'm trying to, you know, control his education. But that wasn't as important to him as some of the other areas where he wanted some independence. Just the ability to, you know, as, as teenagers do, want to be able to go somewhere and not necessarily report back all the time. But I think it does take a lot of vulnerability as a parent to to ask your child what they need at any age, and especially yeah. especially in those older ages. But even when they're younger, uh, to sit with them and say, okay, what can we do better as a family?
1: Yeah, and that's a deliberate conversation, right? So that's a right. good deliberate conversation to have. And And that's the thing is that you say, wait, what do we need to discuss? I'm going to do it on purpose. And I think that's the... That's the part where you get into the place where you can finally make a good connection, make a good plan, have good impact. When a person is self-governing, what they do is they analyze, then they make a plan, then they take deliberate action, and then they communicate effectively throughout that process. And they just do that again and again and again. And, and we might just say, well, that's just maturing. Well, yeah, but there's a whole bunch of people in the world that have not hit that. and so when we help our children go through that by setting the example it can feel vulnerable it can feel even a little awkward sometimes because maybe we don't normally go to people and say i'm going to talk to you about this you know right right now but like you've seen it's actually super powerful hey i wanted to um just dovetail on something that you mentioned which was um you know when they're living in your house
0: Right so it's a then, different thing.
1: Yeah, when they're living in your house it is a different thing and that you still have to make sure that there are boundaries that are observed because it doesn't belong to them right? And and this is a maturity thing that they learn that, that respect, obviously it's going to make them even more excited to move on on their own at some point, which is good. We want that, right? You want them to launch and go off and do what they should. But if they get absolutely every perk of autonomy while staying at your house, they have no reason to leave. So that's one one reason why we have to always make sure that we say, you know, when you're with a group and and you live with a group, there are certain things you do have to tell the group so that we can function. Okay. Right. And so just to keep that, even just that right there can be enough that can keep things flowing well and can keep them feeling like, oh, well, I'm just deliberately communicating with my group. It's not that they have control over me, but I live with a group. I mean, it just adjusts, right? right.
0: And I think it sets expectations for all sorts of situations they may find themselves living in with roommates, uh, with new spouses as they get married, with, you know, with other groups, Because I know my daughter in her very first apartment, my oldest daughter, who's 22 in her first apartment, she really struggled with some of her roommates because they had a hard time finding that sort of communication balance of, well, I'm having friends over this night, but no, I was having friends over. And they had a little bit of conflict. And I said, listen, you need to sit down. You need to say, okay, what are we doing how are we communicating? How are we How are we setting boundaries with each other? And you have to do that with your own kids as well. And mm-hmm. with this son, we did have that conversation where we said, "Okay, so you know, where are you going to be at dinner? Let everyone know where you're going to be at dinner. Uh, be home at a reasonable time." We we lock the door. So be, be home before the door is locked. Um, And that's, you know, we have a group family text that I'll send a text out and say, okay, who's going to be home for dinner? It'll be on the table at this time. And, and just that communication, which I think we set the foundations for really, really early when our kids are young and say, okay, we communicate about these things as a family, we talk. So and I really like, you know, the the skills of self governance, because I do think that there are a lot of people that never learn them. How young do you think you can start building
1: these skills? You know, it's actually been remarkable. So I started doing skill development, skill sets. Actually, when I was 14 years old, I created some for myself. And then when I started doing treatment foster care, they gave me this whole book of skill sets. And I thought it was a candy store. I was like, what? I I was creating skill sets for myself. I didn't know this was a thing, you know? Anyway, so they gave me all these skill sets when they did my training. And, And as I looked through that book of skill sets, hundreds of them, I... I went, you know what? This can all be narrowed down to like four skills following right. instructions, accepting no answers and criticism, accepting consequences, and disagreeing appropriately. Those really, those skill sets encompass the majority of all these other skill sets. And so, anyway, um, so we started teaching those skills to our foster children. And at the time, I had two babies, I had a three year old and I had a one year old. And so they started learning the skill sets too at one and at three. And I just made sure that my one-year-old learned how to say, okay, like well, that was one of the first words. We're going to get that one coming out really good so that she could learn how to say, okay, because that was one of the steps in all the skills that she needed to be able to say, okay. And it was so cute. By the time she was probably about 20 months or so, she could say, I just, we, <laughs> which is, may I disagree appropriately, right? Right. She could say that. And and she didn't know exactly what the word disagree and the word appropriately meant. I mean, her vocabulary wasn't quite to that level, what she really knew. But she knew she was going to say in a calm way that she wanted to tell me something that I didn't know. Or she wanted to, to tell me that she didn't want it a certain way or whatever it was. And so they can start doing that when they're really young. Now, obviously, it depends developmentally where they're at verbally, right? So, and, and some parents who have children who aren't verbal, they use sign for it, and it works, right? So there's other ways that you can adapt some of the skills, so long as the person is able to you know, go through the process with you. And even people who are very low-functioning have been able to use these skills, and, and the parents might have to prompt just a little bit more, okay, now do this step. Now do this step, now do this step, but they even over time will get into a habit, a pattern in their brain where they create a new pathway to, to make it so that they end up having communication success with people instead of increased frustration, which is usually the root of so much anxiety and so much contention and discord is just good old fashioned frustration because we're not communicating well And and we're not, we're not, um, acknowledging who each other is too which is, I think, a a big thing, so anyway, that's, that's, you can start them really, really young, um, but, oh, I do have to say, I guess, a disclaimer, okay, when you start with your children really, really young, they still go through phases of learning and testing, no matter what, like, that's human, okay, so they still go through phases of learning and testing, which means that just because you taught it to them when they're two doesn't mean they're going to try to push the limit when they're four, you know, whether they, they won't, because they will, they'll, they'll push them. They hit 14. Oh yeah. They're going to just push again. Cause like, that's just what happens at 14.
2: Because eighth grade is just a trial for both parents and children. <laughs> so. Yeah. So totally in this place right now of the kids, the young kids, I have a three-year-old and a five-year-old and, um, and I totally am with you. I've been following your program for two years, maybe even more than that and um one of the first things i taught him was how to disagree appropriately (laughs) Wonderful. (laughs) always arguing with me and i know that's not usually we're supposed to do you know say okay first but it you know i need to get back to that this is such a good reminder but when you said you know when they're a little behind developmentally um both of my children have autism and it's working you know i am teaching them these things um but the biggest thing for me has been your calm 101 and i know that you've just done a a youtube um series on this and um it's like i love everything and i have the um the big main big course um where it goes through everything but that that is the thing that i love the most is I can be calm in any situation and that you or and I believed you, you know, and I would try it. And with, with my kids, I mean, toddlers and young children, preschoolers have big emotions anyways. Children with autism have really big emotions and it is so hard not to get sucked in to their crazy. <laughs> so I just, I would love for you to talk a little bit more about how parents stay calm with those big emotions but also with like covid happening that brings up a lot of big emotion for people and um that power of calm. That's what it was called, power of calm.
1: Yeah, the power of calm. Um in fact, when I thought of the name of that class, the first time I ever gave a, a piece of that concept to people, I I actually thought, I hope people know that calmness isn't passiveness, that calmness is power. It's like assertive, decided upon power. Cause just talking to me, can you maybe guess that I'm not a passive person? Just a little. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay. So I'm not, in fact, I'm definitely one of those people that people would say, oh, she's like, you know, she's a go-getter, right? She's one of those people that like, if I feel like I need to do something, I'm going to do it. Like, that's the type of person I am. And that's because I am strong-willed. Have you ever heard of those people before? Yeah. So I'm actually a strong-willed person. And I was the type of person that would argue with my parents. I even hit my own mother one time when I was a child. I mean, I was, I was really, I needed the tools for what to do. And finally, when I hit age 14, there was a wonderful neighbor friend of mine that challenged me in a way that led me to making tools for myself. And, um, and I conquered two of my biggest beasts and one of the beasts was how to communicate with my parents. And that's when I taught myself how to follow instructions and accept no answers. And I decided there was power in it, that it was a deliberate choice I had and I was making for my own freedom. But a lot of times with parents, When they're struggling and they're not being calm, it's because they actually have, it's a, it's a false thing in their head. It's a, um, a deception, I guess that we, some of us, we buy into at certain times. In fact, I even know there've been points where I felt myself buy in and they go, wait a second. And here's the deception. The deception is that somehow the parent actually can control the child that is actually a deception and you know that as a parent with two autistic children like you know right (laughs) right yeah i can wrangle them but i I can't control them i think anyone who has
0: had young children anyone who has had children with challenges like autism and anyone who's been a parent of teenagers knows inherently that any illusion of control is just that it's an illusion Mm -hmm. And, and if we try and enact that control all the time, if that's what we're seeking for, we're not going to build any sort of meaningful relationship with them. So what do you suggest that they do?
1: Yeah, so like Alicia mentioned, I actually do have a whole thing. It's called the Calm Parenting Toolkit, and when you go to my website, teachingselfgovernment.com, dot you can actually get the Calm Parenting Toolkit for free, um, and and that's a good start. Like that's a really good place to start because you have to be willing to do honest assessment of yourself in order to in order to find calmness. You have to. You have to look at yourself and say, what do I do? What is the first indicator? that I am going to lose it. Some people might tense up in their neck. Some people might clench their teeth or squeeze their fist. Some people might narrow their eyes or stick out their chin. There's things that people do and their body even oftentimes gives them an indicator. Their voice tone might give them an indicator. For many people, they get a thought and they'll get this certain thought like, oh no, you're not you know, or whatever it is that happens inside their head. And as soon as they think, oh no, you're not, they immediately buy into this lie. I can control the other people in this room and I'm going to stop this from happening. And once the parent goes down that track, they are manipulating. And so, that's what they have to remember. If you cave into the clenched fists and the, the, the repeated thought that pops into your head, like, and it could even be a, a pity thought. Like they don't care about me because maybe you're a passive parent and you're just going to withdraw either way. That's manipulative. The only way to conquer your own, the, to conquer the situation is to conquer yourself. And so that's the, the point is you say, what happens to me? Okay, wait. I just got that cue, I, I use it as a trigger for good. You know how we can have triggers for bad, right? So I use it as a trigger for good. When I have this thought in my head, which is like, this is chaos, or everything's falling apart, or whatever that thought is, instead of going outside myself to control, I immediately, I've taught myself to, to turn inside myself to control and say, okay, Nicolene, where are you at? Are you ready? are you in control can you be a rock that those people can hold on to instead of a rock that they're going to run from because you're hurling at them you know like what what are you in that situation and so then i have this process it's a six step process that we go through for how to be calm when somebody else isn't how to help them find their calmness without losing yours at the same time and and this is really transformational for parents we teach them a skill set it's Um, a parenting skill set called the rule of three, which is something that I started doing with out of control teens, and can be used with children, you know, anywhere from age like six or so and up. And then we have another strategy that we use for when they're a little younger than that. Um, But we, it's a, it's all talk. the, The rule of three is all done with talk and it's all done with calmness. But here's my suggestion. If you don't have your calmness totally figured out yet, then hold on to this cardinal rule. The cardinal rule is that you make a quick description and you say, right now there's something that needs to be talked about because people are not behaving properly. Even if you just said that, that's it. And then you say, I'm going to go get myself calm and then I will come back and I will talk about it. Okay, now this is not like, I have other things I talk about that you go through, but this would be your basic, basic. If you haven't done any of my training, this would be something you could hold on to until you really master your calmness a little bit better. so then you decide ahead of time, well, where's my calm place? Where do I get calm? Is it a rocking chair in my room? Is it, do, do I dig in the yard for a minute? Hopefully it's not drive away from the house for four hours. You know, we got to find something that like still keeps everybody safe and feeling wanted. So you do that. And then in that time, you might actually have to write out word for word what you will say to the person when you go back. Because sometimes you can get yourself completely calm you go back to the person and you still say that dumb thing that popped into your head before you left to get calm. And that's where people not having the skills in place come in. So what I usually do is I tell people, go, go look at the steps to the rule of three, rehearse them in your mind. This is what you're going to say. And we have little cue cards that help people remember what some of those steps are and things. And then, um, and then take that back and then say, okay, now I'm calm. By then your child is like, whoa, because they got calm, right? Because you said, I'm going to go get calm. And so then you come back and then you go through the interaction. Ideally, you can have the interactions when someone's out of control when like it's happening right then, immediately. That's the ideal, right? Right. But if you're going to lose control, the ideal is not that. <laughs> because th- because then all of a sudden you've got cleanup work after, relationships get ruined, there's all kinds of things that happen. So it's better for you to declare this will be handled in the immediate, then go get yourself ready and then come back and handle it. And you know what you've done, you've given your children the perfect example of what it means to self-govern yourself and teach I yourself think
0: that's, I think that's great because I think too little emphasis is placed on how we are actually examples for our children of how to do these things, how to govern ourselves, how to make decisions to be calm in a situation, how to solve problems, you know, with, with that rationality. Um, I, I teach English. I teach rhetoric. I'm really aware of the power of words. And sometimes my kids will roll their eyes at me and say, mom's going to talk at us again. But it, there is, there's a lot of power in putting things in words and saying, let's talk, let's talk about this. Let's look at what's happening. Let's make goals as a family. Let's take a step back. And I, I am not sure everyone has those tools. So I think the tools that you offer are really valuable.
1: Yeah, thank you. It, it is. And, and I think that um, parents should not be afraid to open up and talk to their children. But at the same time, we always have to remember there is this rule about lectures. So if the, if the children feel like you're lecturing, they turn you off. So then you lose your impact too. So what I usually do is I say, think ahead of time. What is that one statement you really wanna hit home? Then look deep into their eyes, think how much you love them and what their great potential is. Say that one statement, maybe follow it up with a couple of other things. Then, get their input, then move on from there but but if you just lay in with you know the huge speech, sometimes they don 't get the impact so that that taking a time to stop yourself first it 's powerful it is yeah. so powerful and and honestly that 's probably one of the greatest things i 've ever learned in my life
0: okay, so thank you for visiting with us today. If you had one more thing, one more piece of advice that you would give to parents who are really struggling. Who are looking for answers, who are wanting more peace in their home, what would you tell them?
1: You know what? I would say don't think about the lists of all the things that you have to do. You know, we get wrapped up in those lists and those lists never lead us to happiness. And if, and if we do find happiness from checking off off the list, it's so temporary. It's so fleeting. It's like a pleasure, but not a happiness, you know? And So stop focusing on pleasures and short-term satisfactions, but instead think of the beauty of those people. Focus in them, look at them. When you talk to them, look into their eyes, really look into their hearts, allow yourself to just slow down a little bit, make eye contact, think about how great they are. And you know what? If you didn't get the laundry done yet again, You put the people first, and that's what's most important.
0: Thank you, Nicolene, for visiting with us today. You have been listening to Currents, a podcast by Big Ocean Women. You can find us online at bigoceanwomen.org, on Instagram, and on Facebook. Our guest today has been Nicolene Peck. She is a mother of four who knows her time at home with her family will be her greatest impact and legacy. Find more information about teaching self-government at teachingselfgovernment.com, or follow her YouTube channel. The world is a big place, and we are small people. But even small people can bring about big change. Our music is First Rain by Ian Post, editing production by Brighter Spots at Fifth East Productions. Please join us again for in-depth discussion about interesting ideas and fascinating people who are trying to make a difference in their communities.